0: Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel We're so glad you could join us for today's podcast If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church Check us out online at huronchapel.com Thanks for listening and enjoy today's podcast I want to ask you at the beginning of the service today, or the sermon part anyways What kind of phobias do you have? What kind of fears do you have? What are you afraid of? And I, I've heard people, I was visiting someone last week, and they said they were fearful of snakes. Um, someone else said they had a friend that's very fearful of spiders. What are some of your fears or phobias you have? Just call them out. Speaking in public? Yeah. They, <laughs> obviously, that's one of them. <laughs> what are they? That, that's huge. I'm going to talk about that one. Thank you. Everybody's okay. No, no, no fears. Pardon me. Failure. Failure. That's a good one. I mean, the first service they were just nailing them. to call them about. Them. You guys got it together, obviously. Say it again. Rejection. Rejection. That's a big one too. We're gonna to talk. That's a good one too because if ABC News is right, uh, the most common phobia or fear that you and I have today among us is what we call social phobias. It's where we find ourselves in the very normal, common social situations, but we fear rejection or failure or uh, people not liking us or judging us or laughing at us or being humiliated in front of others. And that, was, that topped the list of, of fears that we struggle with. The other things on the top ten list were the fears of flying, uh, fears of uh, public sp- uh, speaking in public, fears of heights. I was surprised... That it wasn't down until number six where it talked about the fear of death. Uh, that that I thought that would have been higher on the list. Uh, and if that's true, people would rather die than speak in public. And maybe that's that's true. I don't know. But I I really honestly believe death would probably be higher on the list if we didn't struggle with the idea of of wanting to talk and um, think about death. I think if we we're a little more open and honest, we would admit that's higher up, but we don't like talking about it because we live in what Billy Graham calls a death-denying society. And in your sermon notes, you'll see a quote that he once gave in a book he wrote many years ago about death. He said, even the language and atmosphere of funeral homes denies death. A person who has died is said to have departed. A person is stripped of his or her name and referred to as the loved one. There are persons who are specialists in applying makeup to a dead body to make it appear as if the person is only sleeping. And you know, we like statistics. You know, you hear toothpaste commercials saying, you know, eight out of ten dentists recommend this. Uh, George Bernard Shaw has an interesting statistic. He says, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. And the Bible backs that up. It says each person is destined to die once And after that comes judgment. So the truth that we know today is just because we don't like thinking about death um, doesn't make the reality of death disappear in our life. But we come with the good news of being followers of Christ, that we know we can face death differently. And while none of us are in a rush to leave earth and go to heaven, we know when the day comes, when that day comes, God is going to take care of us. Jesus is going to lead us home. And this is a good week to talk about death because we're a holy week. It's also a good week to talk about the phobia and fears of rejection and acceptance. We'll be looking at both of those uh, today in the passage that we read earlier on Palm Sunday. So we we'll are going to look at that. As far as the fear of death goes, um, we celebrate today. We're starting to celebrate. We celebrate all the time, but in this time of the year, we remember how God broke into our history 2,000 years ago. And how Jesus went to the cross, and how on there he became a sacrifice. He took our penalty. He paid the, the, for what we have done against him, which was wrong and sinful. And he paid for that, and he, it had cost him greatly. And because of that, death and the resurrection from the grave, God triumphed over our greatest enemy, our greatest fear, which is death. And we can say like the Apostle Paul said, Oh, death, where is your victory? Can you imagine going up to death and say, Oh, death, where is your sting, he says. For sin is the sting that results in death. But we can look at our greatest fear, our greatest enemy in the face and said, there's no victory in you. There's no power in you. Because my Lord, my Savior, overcame you. That is a great thing, a great confidence we can have today. So you can do that. And this victory, which is great to know, is available to anyone who will sincerely accept it. And not just accept it, but you would want to live it and follow it. And to live it means you follow Jesus as the leader and as the one who saves you from the consequences of eternal death. And so we do that gladly today. And I love how Jesus said in John 10, 10, you know, I love this verse. He says, this is my mission statement. I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. That's a tremendous thing that Jesus said, I'm coming to you, I'm here today, I came to earth, I went to the cross, I went to the tomb, I rose over the tomb, came out of the tomb, because I want you to have a full, abundant life, I want you to have an eternal life. And only God can say that to you and I. Only He has the means and the power to follow through and make good on that promise. We can't find anyone else who could do that but God. So why would we pursue anyone but Him? Why would we want to worship any other person or thing but God? Why would we acknowledge any other as Lord in our life but the one who went and secured the victory for us? We know that Jesus once asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they were honest. They said, well, others, people, they say that they think you're John the Baptist who's come back to life. Or they say you are J- Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the other prophets because the thinking back then was that one of these prophets would come back from the, from the dead before, just before the Messiah came. So what they're saying is the others think you're pointing to the Messiah, you're preparing to wait for the Messiah, but you're not the Messiah. So Jesus asked the question that he asks all of us and all of us must answer. He says to Peter, but, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And remember Peter's response. He said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. You're not just pointing to Him. You're not just preparing a way for Him. You are it. You are the real deal. You are the living God. So I'm really glad that you're here this Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, because we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to celebrate the fact that we can know that God experience the abundant life, experience eternal life, because God's power on the cross and in the grave has the power to transform us in ways that no one else and nothing else can. It's through His redemptive work in our lives in Christ Jesus. But we're also going to see today that following that plan, following that call of redemptive work may not always be supported and applauded and accepted by others. Especially if you fear what well, others think about you. If you fear rejection, if you fear we'll have one of those social phobias, then you're going to struggle sometimes going, following through. And God says, I want you to do this, even when it's popular, even when people around you may not accept this or want this or follow you and support you in it. So, Palm Sunday begins Holy Week for us. And as we look at these events uh, on that Palm Sunday, there are going to be two symbols I want to show you. They're very simple. They're very common. You know them. We connect them to Palm Sunday every year. Uh, but they have meaning. So, the very first one is, is this guy behind me. The donkey. And you look at the donkey and what do you think of? You don't, you don't probably say to yourself, no, that's an intimidating animal. Right. Uh when we think of uh Jesus' triumphal entry into the city, uh into the Jewish city of, of Jerusalem, a logical question would be okay, if you want to make a statement, you wanna say you're a king, you wanna say you have all power and authority, why the donkey? It just doesn't cut it for me. If I was making a statement, if you were wanting to make a statement, if we were wanting to go into the Jerusalem and say, I'm here, I've arrived, the king has arrived, we would probably pick a powerful, huge horse. And we would wear maybe the strongest armor and carry the deadliest weapons. And we would not just trot in. We'd come galloping in to make a statement. But not Jesus. He saunters in on a donkey. And I was thinking, what would that be like today? I thought, you know those monster truck shows? Or, you know, you see them in the arenas, these huge pickup trucks with huge tires. It'd be like having one of those and then a smart car comes in to kind of compete with them. And it just wouldn't cut, it wouldn't work. You look at the donkey, and, you know, some some of you are thinking, well, he's kind of cute. But he's not intimidating. Uh, he's not majestic. The Roman soldiers in Jesus' day, they rode majestic, fancy, strong, powerful horses. They made an impression that we have power and we have authority, we have strength. The donkey doesn't do that. But you see, Jesus didn't need a horse or a chariot to make the statement he was wanting to make. Because back in Zechariah nine, there's purpose in what he's doing. It tells us there was a prophecy, the prophecy that said the Messiah, when he comes to Jerusalem... He'll be riding on a donkey. And we read that today, Matthew 21, verse 1 to 7. We'll look at it again. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to a town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter you'll see a donkey tied there with his colt out beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place, here's a part, to fulfill the prophecy in Ze- Zechariah that says, look, or tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is riding humble, riding a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. So Jesus specifically wanted a donkey because he was that promised Messiah that Zechariah was talking about. He was coming to Jerusalem to secure victory, and he's fulfilling a prophecy said about him thousands of years ago. And when the people saw him riding in on a donkey, they knew what he was saying. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been expecting. You are the promise when Zechariah talked about. And what the people didn't understand, however, is that Jesus was not going to fulfill the agenda they had of what that Messiah was going to be. They wanted this political king. They wanted an earthly king. Jesus had this huge vision, much larger, much larger than what they had, not just to be an earthly king, but to come as one who would reign not just there in that day, but through all days, not just overcome their, their immediate enemy with who they saw as Rome, but overcome the enemy of this world, the Prince of Darkness, the devil. And the enemy uh, he would defeat would not just be some Roman people who would, would fall anyway someday. But rather Jesus would overcome the power of sin in our life. So the donkey is foretelling, is, is fulfilling a prophecy saying, The king has arrived. And secondly, this, this symbol we know is a common palm branch. And, and, you now imagine, <clears throat> imagine you um, loaded your family into the car. The kids are all excited because they think you're taking them to the ice cream store. And they're excited, they get closer and closer, and they taste the chocolate peanut butter cup and the waffle cone. And they're really, really happy. They're screaming, excited, bouncing around. But to their surprise, you drive right past the ice cream store. And, and you go all the way to the airport and you go there and you get on the plane and you take them to Paris. A trip of a lifetime. They, you know, they should be happy. They should be ecstatic, but they're not. Instead of ice cream, they're getting Paris. They get to go down, uh, the Seine River on Friday night and on a boat and see all the people tango dancing along the shores. This amazing, beautiful thing. But they don't think so this is not what they were expecting. It didn't fit in their idea of what should, would be a good thing. And most of us maybe aren't prepared to surprise our kids with a trip to Europe, but the story gives us an understanding of what was happening in Jesus' day, how the, what the people were expecting and what God was doing. They thought the king was coming to overthrow a government. Jesus, no, I'm coming to overthrow a greater enemy than that. And we read, again, the rest of Matthew 21, 8 to 11. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest heaven! And the entire city, the entire city of Jerusalem, was in an uproar. As Jesus entered, it said, who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. So they, they, they got the palm branches, which was a sign of victory and start waving them. Victory has come today. They took their coats and laid them down on the ground because a king was coming into their city and they wanted to honor him. They could almost taste the sweet goodness of freedom. Finally, finally Messiah is coming. Finally, the Roman government's going to be kicked out. Finally, we will, well, we will experience the freedom that we've always hoped for. But the crowd would soon discover that Jesus did not come and give the kind of freedom that they had limited him to, what they thought. He didn't come set up a political kingdom. Instead, he went above and beyond what they imagined. He was a spiritual king, not just an earthly king. His victory, his ultimate victory would not be over men sitting in government, but over sin and, and, and the hold, and the grip it has on us, who set, that, that sin separates us from God the Father. And he wanted to defeat that. And so people, not just in Jerusalem's day, but in our day, here today, would, would be affected. He wanted to make an impact, not just uh, a, a, for that group of people on that day, but for all people including us here today but not everybody got that they didn't understand that the disciples didn't really fully understand it says in John's gospel his disciples did not understand at the time this was a fulfillment a prophecy but after Jesus entered into his glory they remembered what had happened and realized ha these things have been written about him so hindsight's good but we got to trust Jesus ahead of it what he's knowing what he's doing so I wonder about you. Like we said all that, but what about you? What do you expect from Jesus this Easter? Are you prepared for His power and your victory in your life to go above and beyond what, how you maybe boxed Him in, what you were expecting Him to do? Are you willing to say, God, even if you, I, maybe I think this is what is needed, but you want something more and bigger than that. Would you prepare to let Him do that in your life? Would you prepare to say, God, I will surrender to you. I will trust you. I'll trust you because you know what I should be doing. You know what I need to be. You know the paths that must be followed. Would you say, God, even if They are bigger than what I think. You have permission to do that in my life. And the problem is sometimes when we do that, we say yes to God. He'll take us on roads that lead to the the best, the the, the, the greatest. But they're always not the most popular. When he rode into Jerusalem, at first Jesus was popular. Everybody thought, you're doing what we want you to do, so we'll cheer you on. But it was not... Jesus was not trying to gain the approval of man. He was not there for a campaign rally, running for political office. He he was not there to try to get elected for something. That was not his goal. He knew what was coming. He knew in the coming day he was going to this cross. He knew it meant uh, an, an agonizing death. And he knew there'd be a resurrection and we'd be set free. And what I want to share with you now, it kind of as a statement that helps us understand how this applies to you and I today. Because we know the story, that happened, that's good, but how can this be relevant to me today? And I think one of the most important lessons of Easter week, especially on Palm Sunday, what's happening after, is that we need to know as Christians that want to seek and do the will of the Father is this. Look at this, this quote. Jesus' journey was not about human approval or cooperation. It was one of obedience to the Father and the fulfillment of His plan for redeeming world. He didn't come just so everybody would like him. He came to be obedient. And thank goodness, praise the Lord for that, because if he just did what everybody wanted to be, him to be, we would not be here today free from sin. So if you would agree, if you are one who wants to seek what God wants to do in your life, then there's just two simple things you gotta, you gotta do. Number one, seek, learn, and know what God would have you to do. If you say, God, yes, I want to do what you want me to do, well, you've got to spend time, we talk about this, you know, listening to God, reading his word, listening, having him confirm his direction in your life. That doesn't happen unless we say, God, here I'm listening. I want to know. I come before you. That's what Jesus did. How many times in the Bible he was oft in a quiet place praying to God the Father? We know that verse in Jeremiah where God gives us promise to Israel and it's for us as well today. For I know the plans I have for you. Oh, great God. And he says, they're plans for good. Yes, and not for disaster. Yes, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, yes, yes to all of that. But how is it going to help if you don't seek and learn and know what that plan is? He's got great plans, but you don't spend the time to say, Lord, I want to listen to you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to understand what those plans are. You need to seek and learn and to understand. What God would have you to do? That's what Jesus did. His testimony is this. And John says, "I carry out the will of the One who sent me, not my own will. So I'm not just doing what I want to do, what I think is right. I'm listening to God the Father, being obedient, submissive to Him." And John again he says, "I don't do. I do nothing out of my on my own, but say only what the Father taught me." So he's learning. And Jesus could say that because he spent a lot of time learning and listening. He was one with God the Father as God the Son. I was talking to a young pastor this week who, in his first pastorate, and, and he was wondering, how do you know when to move on? He's, he's getting through a, a struggling time, and, and he's wanting to know, like, how do you know? Like, how do you know when God asks you to go? And I said, he'll just tell you. If you're listening and learning, he will tell you. It may not be what you want to hear, but he will let you know. He's, a, he's faithful. You listen. God will speak. He'll confirm it through others. He'll confirm it in his word if you spend time with him. That's the kind of God he is. In fact, the night before Jesus was crucified, he's agonizing over a decision, right? To go to the cross. It's not. He said, you know, if there's any other way, can we take that way? And it wasn't that he didn't want to do this that for our freedom, but if it, it, he knew what it, what, it, what it entailed, and if there's any other way, he'd be glad to do that. But once the God, the Father, assured His Son, no, this is it. This is the path. This is what I'm asking you to go. Jesus never looked back. He just looked forward and joy, knowing that His agony would set us free. In fact, in Hebrews we read, because of the joy awaiting Him, because of the joy awaiting Jesus, He endured the cross, disregarding the shame. He, He took shame and agony because the joy awaiting Him wasn't this. It's right here. It's us. We would be set free. We would have that full life. We would have the eternal life. We can live with him in heaven forever. That's the joy that he allowed him to endure the roughest, toughest part of his earthly life. Freedom for us. Eternal hope for us. Eternal life. So you need to seek and know what God would have you to do. Because sometimes it's not easy. Often it's not easy. But you need to know. Secondly, once you know what it is God's calling you to do or be, stick to it. I mean, persevere through it. Be obedient to God in it. Because like Jesus, following through what God the Father is asking you to do can bring you opposition. People will not often understand. I'll guarantee you there's times you will not fully understand. But just as it was with Jesus, people around you may cheer you and say yes when you're doing what they think you need to be doing. But once you find out and learn what God is asking you to do, and they see it's different, they may desert you. Are you ready for that? They may rebel against you. Are you ready for that? They crucified Jesus. Because they weren't doing what he thought he should do. He was doing what God asked them to do. So once you know what God wants you to do, press forward. Don't look back. Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. So the lesson for you and I is this, doing what God would have you to do will not always come with the approval of people around you. That's what I learned from Palm Sunday. I'm with you if you do what I want you to do, Jesus. What? You don't want to do what I want to do? Crucify Him. Even the Apostle Paul got this. I love this testimony in Galatians 1.10. He says, obviously, Paul says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be as Christ's servant. You see that? If my goal was to please people, get their approval, I could not be Christ's servant. I can't do both, so I've got to make a decision. People or God? Because often, it will not be the same. He says again in Thessalonians, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose, he says, is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Are you prepared? Even when it's not easy, Even if others around you, say, come on, come on, come on, let's do this. To stand morally, to stand in ministry, to stand knowing this is what God has said to you, confirmed in others, confirmed in his word, and say, I will take this path, even when it leads through very tough times. Jesus' purpose was not to be liked by the majority of people. His purpose was to be obedient to God the Father, and to then to offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be free. How would God want to use you? What path would he have for you to lead you to know that others may know him? If you're here today wondering what this journey of Holy Week means for you, don't miss out on God's invitation for salvation and then to follow. He loves you. As he says in Jeremiah, I have plans for you. There are plans for hope, plans for a future. But it begins at the cross. And begins following him every day. And I promise you, it may be an unexpected journey. It will probably be a surprising journey. But he will go with you. And things will happen that will honor God and minister to people. Because you took the path and followed, even when it wasn't easy. So, Lord, I pray for that to us today. Because there are people here today I know who have a calling on their life, maybe, Lord, to serve you in ministry. And we know there's times when it's not going to be easy. We know there's people here today who are making, trying to make a stand for their faith at work or in school. And it's not popular and it's not easy. But God, would you give them the strength, remind them, confirm in them time and time again, your love for them, your direction for them, the hope you have for them. Get, bring around other Christians to affirm and confirm, Lord, your call and your direction for their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. Please remember to visit huronchapel.com for more information about our church.